Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, a Kingkiller Chronicle reread podcast. We are your hosts, Will and Phoenix. Let's get into it. Welcome back to a very special episode of Tales from the Waystone. We've been off for the past few months as we go through the process of moving into our new home, so we haven't had as much time to read and record as often as we'd like. As we try and get back into the swing of things, we thought it would be fun to just do an episode of things that we'd recommend based on what's been keeping us entertained and sane through this process. We promise we'll get back to the wise man's fear soon. We'll share a few things that we like, as well as a few recommendations from listeners like you from our Discord. This list includes all manner of books, movies, TV shows, games, and general life hacks and strategies, and is presented in no particular order. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. That sounds great. I'm very sleepy. I'm going to be a little bit off, but I really, really needed to get back into recording. And this is a baby step. I think actually with that, you've brought up a really important thing. Sometimes the important thing to remember is that progress is progress, no matter how small it may seem in the grand scope of things. It can be very tempting to look at all of the things yet to be done without appreciating all the things that you have done. That's very true. Right now we're in the room that has mostly been our dumping ground, this and our garage. And it's a little bit daunting for me because we have a couple of rooms that are not done, but look presentable. So our entire downstairs looks presentable and is functional. And our fun little living room that's upstairs looks presentable and looks like it could be done. It's not done, but at least it's in a stasis space where it's not actively bothering me. So it's easier almost to exist in those rooms, in those spaces, than it is in the spaces that are chaotic, full, or weirdly empty. I've just got to say, like sometimes getting one thing done that makes a difference, even if the whole thing is still, there's a lot left to be done, but just seeing that marked change. Like, so today... In this room, we cleared off some floor space. We put away some of our Christmas decorations into a permanent storage box. We got our floor space cleared off, so now we can actually move around in here. And I'm not trying to say that, yeah, mission accomplished, job done, whatever. We don't have to do anything in here anymore, but it made a massive difference in terms of our ability to move in the space. And it doesn't have to be the final thing for it to be a win. That actually leads me right into, I guess, my first recommendation, which isn't even on our list. Just something as simple as permanent storage boxes for seasonal items, for memories, for things that you own that you don't want to get rid of, but maybe don't have a year-round display purpose or don't have a place that is out in your normal living space. And I say this as someone who has moved more times in my lifetime than I can count on all my fingers and toes. This will probably not be our last move ever, but my intention is for it to be our first real putting down roots 
that don't have to be shallow and where we don't have to be afraid to put up things like shelving and make additions to our home or changes to our home that can't really easily be undone. And as we have moved over and over and over and over, we have reused boxes or we have not unpacked some boxes. My eventual craft closet is full of boxes, cardboard boxes full of things that we have intended to display or just haven't had a space for to be out or that we have been thinking, oh yeah, once we get our actual house, once we no longer have to be in a temporary transient space, we'll have time, space, placement, whatever for this. Like we can dedicate a place in our home to enjoy this thing. And then we've got some things that are just memories. They're not for general display purposes, but like the books that I loved when I was a kid that my dad read to me. Yeah. Or some of my old course books from when I was a student. There are things that, yeah, we've pared down some of the unnecessary keeps. Like we don't need to keep the times table from when I was in fourth grade or something like that. God, no. But things that have a sentimental value. Getting a permanent storage box for that. Best example. Okay. When we got married, mind you, this was 10 and a half years ago. We had some leftover bits that kind of remind us of the day. Like your parents got us kind of streamer things for the, uh, or probably your sister actually, for our little picnic rehearsal dinner. And we love them. And we wanted to keep them, but there's not really a place to put them. So they're in, they were in a baby wipes box for like the last three moves because we didn't have a place to put them and we were moving and we had to just kind of put it somewhere and move it with us. And so it's lived there since then. We just went to Ikea, picked up some storage boxes that are pretty and put the little trinkets and things from our wedding, our cake topper, the streamers, some other little knickknacks that we don't really need out, but that we don't want to just relegate to a baby wipes box. I think what it comes down to is if these are things that are important to you, you should store them in something that respects that. And so having, whether it is plastic crates or nice cardboard boxes, you know, things that actually look intentional. It goes a long way, I think, towards treating the stuff we have with more respect. Like, for instance, we have a obnoxiously green and red box that I insisted we buy this year to put all of our Christmas stuff in because I want to know what it is, but I don't want it just in my face and out all year. And we also are then able to find it quickly when the season rolls back around. So I would just recommend finding ways to put the things that you love, cherish, or just care about in any way, shape, or form into a more permanent solution rather than just have your space full of cardboard boxes. It's a good rack. And then my other recommendation is recycle all your cardboard boxes. Just get rid of them. 
I would suggest if you've got moving boxes that could be reused, look on local buy nothing groups to see if anybody needs moving boxes. You can probably gift them to someone who could make use of them as they move. We don't need to be making more cardboard boxes. We need to be sharing our cardboard boxes. Yep. <laughs> so that let's move on to something a little more traditionally fun. Vox Machina season two just started up a couple weeks ago and we've really been enjoying it. So I think we actually recommended Vox Machina season one. I'm not sure. Nobody's made us a wiki yet and I haven't tried that yet. Maybe later, maybe not. Maybe a listener will do it. Maybe not. Anyway, I highly recommend season one. And season two is just continuing on with the awesomeness. Yeah. So for those of you who aren't aware, it is an animated adaptation of the first critical role campaign with the adventuring party Vox Machina. Of course, it's an adaptation. So that means it's not exactly like the streams themselves because they have to make certain changes here and there. In case you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about D&D. Yes, it's a D&D campaign with Matt Mercer as the dungeon master and an array of voice actors playing all of the characters. So it's a lot of fun. It has some of the improvisational fun of the original campaign. Of course, streamlined down a little bit and edited to fit into 30 minute episodes, plus some extra voice talent on top for some of the NPCs. A lot of those... NPCs are also played by Matt Mercer, though. Yes. Or Billy Boyd. Like, that was a fun one most recently. Yeah. Like, I recognize that Hobbit voice. <laughs> so that's one that we've been enjoying quite a bit. And that actually is a really good segue into our second recommendation. Which is Dimension 20 on Dropout. Yeah, so this is a bunch of current and past college humor castmates playing D&D. So... I will admit here, we got turned on to the dropout kind of ecosystem from one of our friends recommending Um Actually, which is what we recommended the last time, if you can remember all the way back <laughs> to when I last posted an episode. So we made it through all of Um Actually, and then we kind of just continued on watching all of the things on dropout because why not? A lot of them are fun little game show type things that are great for just killing an evening. But there are also Dimension 20 episodes, which are basically feature length D&D campaigns featuring a whole bunch of really funny people. Right now, we are almost done with season one of the first campaign, which was Fantasy High, which is sort of John Hughes meets D&D. And it has been an absolute joy all of the castmates are fun and interesting and kind in the way that they bounce off one another. Even as, yeah, there is some raunchy humor here and there. And yeah, there's some over-the-top fantasy violence, which is a lot of fun. There's also some real tenderness to it. I don't want to spoil too much. But yeah, all of the classic teen movie archetypes are there, blended with fantasy archetypes. And they come out in surprising and interesting ways. So like the barbarian in this case is turned into the sort of weird artistic kid who is a half-orc barbarian named Gorgug Thistlespring who was raised by gnomes. <laughs> and he's a gentle giant until he's not. 
<laughs> until he rages. But he's also just unfailingly kind and optimistic. And awkward as heck. They have Fig, who is a tiefling bard who, well, to say that she's got daddy issues is <laughs> an understatement. But she's in sort of like this heavy metal phase, which is a lot of fun to play with. Then you have Fabian Seacaster, who is the jock of the group, comes from a rich family and is really, though, just looking to figure out how to live up to his legacy. You have Adine Abernanth, who is the child of elven diplomats and has a, a gnarly relationship with them. And her sister. And her sister, yes. And then, of course, you have Kristen Applebee's, who is the church camp kid and the cleric. And then you have the ball. Yes, that would be Riz Gutgak, who is a goblin rogue, a.k.a. the briefcase kid. <laughs> and all of them are fun and interesting. And it's really interesting seeing the friendship that springs up between the characters as they explore life and themselves, they start to grow and come to understand more about how they fit into the world, which is both a heroic thing and it's also a classic teen movie thing. Yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had in that. Yeah, so it pulls inspiration, I'd say, from The Breakfast Club and like Pretty in Pink and also, I'd say, Ferris Bueller. Yeah, there's a bit of Ferris Bueller. There's, I think, probably a little bit of Heather's. Brennan Lee Mulligan is the DM, and he's a lot of fun in that role. I empathize a lot with him. I identify a lot with him. Both of us are former philosophy majors. He also came from a very small schooling background. He was homeschooled. I was from a very small school. So our high school experiences such as there don't necessarily line up with the stereotypes. So it was kind of fun seeing that from a similar perspective as mine. And again, like he manages to find a lot of really interesting ways to bounce off of his players in ways that both confirm and defy the stereotypes. And again, to say more than that would be to spoil the fun. Speaking, though, of all the things on Dropout, let's just run through the list of the things that we've enjoyed. So... We have definitely enjoyed Dirty Laundry, which is very fun if you like two truths and a lie type kind of thing, especially if you're OK with a little bit more risque kind of humor. And, you know, some of the people are a lot more wholesome than other people are. Though I will say in general, the roasts as they occur are generally pretty gentle. Yeah, the roasts are gentle, but some of the secrets are surprising. And that said, these are things that people chose to volunteer about themselves. So that is true for the Internet's pleasure. We've also got Game Changer, which I think is my favorite thing I've ever watched in my entire life because it's, the game changes literally every single episode. And while there are a few misses, most of them are just amazing. They're either heartfelt and just heartwarming fun things to watch or they're funny as heck like they even spun off make some noise from game changer which is another one we've been watching because it was so funny to watch brennan and also zach oyama and josh rubin just do improv comedy 
mostly about like making noises. It was so funny. It, I do it no justice. The best way to describe it is it's a game show where every game is different and the contestants are figuring it out as they go. Some classic episodes that are worth looking into are Yes or No, <laughs> like which contains an all-time great rant. And to say more would ruin it. Although I think Yes or No depends on getting to know some of the player personalities. I would say that if you really want to understand Yes or No, you should watch Make Some Noise first and then... Oh, should I say who it is? Should I say, should I say who you should watch? I would just say watch the whole damn thing from beginning till end. That's what I would say. That's probably the best way, because there are sometimes game samers, which are repeats, so to speak, just because the original concept was so much fun and they wanted to do more of it. And just so you are aware, it's also the beginning of it was right around the time that College Humor was dropped from their original ownership and then kind of picked back up by some of the higher ups in the company. And so there's a lot of like trying to make sure that some of the people that work there are taken care of. So there's ones that are like, we get to watch vicariously as people are given extravagant gifts. And it's actually a lot of fun to watch this happen because it's also kind of a, a weird thing where you can steal before you know what it is. Ah, uh, the Yankee swap. And some of these things are not gifts. <laughs> That's all I will say. But yeah, so those are really just where I've been on my normal abnegation TV. Sometimes you need to have something just to cool down after a long day. And those have been reliably fun. On top of that, you can watch a lot of this on YouTube. You don't necessarily have to pay for Dropout. Yep. So next thing we want to talk about is The Last of Us, the show. Okay, I'm going to say this. I still recommend that if you are half decent at third-person shooters and you don't get your pants soiled by, like, zombie stuff, go for the game. The game is apparently, like, super awesome. All I really have experience-wise is playing through the opener, and then I noped out after I realized what the fate of the person you first play as was, mostly because I just couldn't handle it emotionally. It's a very well-done story. You kind of noped out after the first instance of the clickers, right? Yeah, so I am not really a huge survival horror fan, especially like anything that makes you be very stingy about your bullets, that requires you to be good at aiming. I'm not that person. But so we both noped out of the video game, even though we both really like the idea of it. And I've watched all of the cutscenes on YouTube. And I also know people that worked on it. Yeah, I really quickly realized this is a very well done game that is not for me. <laughs> However, the adaptation is one of the best adaptations of anything I've ever experienced. So like, I think that Arcane really broke the mold of the video game to screen adaptation being just like universally horrible. And then Halo kind of just, we're going to ignore that, um, kind of proved the rule. I don't know. But 
it wasn't really taking a story from the game and making it into a TV show. It was taking characters from the game and an idea and the setting and making an amazing TV show. The Last of Us is actually adapting the game. And I think they managed to do a couple things right that a lot of video game adaptations have historically struggled with. For one thing, it's working off of source material that is more than just a power fantasy, that it is specifically about relationships. I mean, the game works because of the relationship between Joel and Ellie, and it is about their journey as they grow closer together and grow out of their shells, respectively, for good or ill. And the show recognizes it, and so it foregrounds these relationships. Yes, there are zombies. Yes, there are all sorts of weird things going on. Yes, there is a lot of action. And yes, there is a government agency that has essentially turned to fascism. Yep, it has all of that. But fundamentally, it never loses sight of the humans living in this world. And so rather than just putting a video game protagonist on screen doing the same things that video game protagonists do, which are, let's face it, even the most human video game protagonists are able to do things that human beings just simply can't do for any sustained amount of time. Like a video game protagonist can repeatedly try and fail to jump up a given thing without having any ill effects, whereas most of us will blow out our knee after a few tries, you know? The best subversive thing I've seen about the adaptation is this is the worst video game adaptation I've ever seen. By this point in the story, Joel should have died like 16,000 times. <laughs> this is the perfect playthrough. Yeah. But I mean, the other thing is that they let Joel be human. Like he is capable, but he's not invincible. And he doesn't have instant med pack healing or anything like that. He carries bites and scratches and scars and sprains and everything along the way. He is a legitimate 56 year old person. And it works. Fundamentally, it works because of the chemistry between Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, who plays Ellie. Both of them give fantastic touching performances that are funny and authentic and they're allowed to be spiky in ways that real humans are they're not perfect they are flawed and their interactions reflect people who are scarred by a desperately out of whack universe and then you get to episode three which i would say narratively addresses and even fixes some of the mishandled narrative that happens around Bill and Frank in the game. I've watched a lot of reactions to and reviews of episode three by straight audiences, by queer audiences. And I think the thing that strikes me most is having watched a trans woman just discuss how spoilers Spoilers, spoilers for the video game. It is a 10-year-old video game, so seriously, if you haven't played it and you don't want to know, meh. That being said, in the video game, you don't get to meet Frank. You see that Frank has hung himself, and 
it was in response to feeling unloved by Bill. And when every piece of media that has any representation has trauma and tragedy related to their queer characters, it tells queer people that their lives are supposed to be full of trauma and tragedy. And they kind of even address that very specifically with a line in the last show where saying it's not the suicide at the end of the play. They humanized Frank and they gave Bill a stronger purpose and a stronger narrative arc. So one thing that I really took away from it is episode three really goes into sort of the survival horror narrative and says, what are the things that make it worth it to survive? And it is human connection and relationship. These two characters share this profound human connection. They're not perfect. They're flawed. Like everybody else in the show, they go through triumphs and tragedies. And, you know, it's not always easy in that world as if it is in any world, but especially in the world of The Last of Us with a global fungal zombie apocalypse going on. However, they manage to build a life together that is actually more than just eking out and surviving. It is actually living. And I think it points to some of the things that I think it's all too easy to forget about in these sorts of narratives. It's those relationships, the, the humanity of being friends with people, of having a community of some kind, of having things that you actually do that bring you pleasure. Of having a romantic partner. Exactly. And their relationship is not portrayed as perfect and always happy, but they have more good days together than they do bad. Even in this world where they are constantly having to be vigilant to make sure that their survival continues. And while I know that there's criticism, a lot of it to do with almost this theater of, well, you didn't adapt it right because you didn't adapt it exactly like what happened in the video game. Exactly what happened in the video game works for a video game because it's essentially an action set piece where there's a whole lot of things that are exciting to do, but not exciting to watch. And it wouldn't go forward within the story if you just did it scene by scene with the video game. But in this case, we get a way to have a contrast between the characters of Frank and Bill, and then with Joel as a broken character, unable to really form the human connections. I think that's a good one. So another thing I would like to recommend is find yourself a good mechanical keyboard, folks. Especially if you are neurodivergent in any way and find yourself needing to do things like stimming, a mechanical keyboard is fantastic. You don't have to get one that clicky clacks, but if you like one that clicky clacks, go for one that clicky clacks. It's very satisfying. So, I mean, for a long time, mechanical keyboards have been popular in the gaming set just because of the increased precision and accuracy that you oftentimes get. But there's also something to be said for just the tactile feeling of typing on one. And <laughs> yeah, so I recently got one since we moved, I've got a larger desk, which means I have 
space for a just dedicated keyboard. So that has been really nice because I like how it feels just to type on this mechanical beast. And the sound is really satisfying as it happens. Feels a lot better than trying to just type on a laptop keyboard, you know, with just the little chiclet keys or whatever, or the membrane. That's just no fun. But getting a good mechanical keyboard, it feels nice and solid under your fingers. Whether you've got a full 100% with a 10 key and everything, or you opt for something a little more compact, there are ample options out there. So I ended up getting one from High Ground that's Gundam themed because I was an anime nerd growing up. And that was a lot of fun. That kind of fits with some of the theming in my room. So yeah, it felt really good to have this. And then with cool lighting effects that can go with it, like it makes it very satisfying for me just to sit in my room and type up an email even. Or a to-do list. Yes, or a to-do list. Make a to-do list. And seriously... If you want context, either watch Game Changer or go on YouTube and look it up. Game Changer to-do list. Just do it. But yeah, that's been uh, something that's really helped me. I would say that in conjunction to that, considering how much you talked about your new space in your room, we made Will a little office space in the closet of our guest bedroom. But that whole room gets to be something that he designs. And... I would say that I'm aware not everyone has the luxury of being able to have an entire room or a huge space that they themselves can design without compromise. But even if you can get like a little corner, a little space, a chair with a blanket that makes you just happy and feel cozy and, you know, calm, or if you can find space on your bookshelf to add some decorations that make you smile every time you look at it. Or if you are lucky enough to have the space to make a room just for you. And I would say try to make that not be like a thing where everyone in your house has to use it, right? So not like your kitchen or your dining room, but just like a space away. Maybe you have your own chair or your own part of a couch and you can make your own little vignette where it feels like you. Or if you can decorate your own room and it's not a shared thing where you have to worry about what other people think. Just finding a little bit of you space in your home. Something where you don't have to give a flying fork about what anyone else thinks what people think when they come into your home or the other people that live in your home something that's just yours i would also say from my perspective it has been a joy seeing you have space that you get to control so if dear audience you live with another person make sure that they also get some them space absolutely Each one of us have spaces that we're trying to customize to our own needs. And, you know, it's been good seeing Phoenix taking some time putting their space together. And I've enjoyed being able to help with that. And like I said, incremental progress is still progress. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be all done all at once. And it can change and grow as you change and grow. Yeah. So... 
Next thing I'd like to talk about is asking friends for help. Oh my goodness, that has been the biggest thing. We have a friend who is, let's just face it, a lot taller than I am. I am 5'3 on a good day. And while I am a very handy person, I don't have a lot of experience yet. And I can't reach a lot of places. And I am not handy, even though I can reach a lot of places. Right. So it's nice to have someone who realized (laughs) the second to last time he was over, he's like, oh my goodness, I'm your guy. I'm the guy that you call when you need help doing pretty much anything. I'm your guy. You know how people have a guy? I'm your guy. (laughs) I know a guy. (laughs) I know a guy. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's come over and helped us put up cabinets on the wall. He's come over and helped me with some lighting situations that I need to do in to make our cozy media room more cozy because we have really bright overhead lights. And then we have other rooms that have lights that are adjacent. And so I don't love the bright, bright lights. They kind of do bad things to my senses, like they overload my senses and my processing. And so it's it's not fun for me to live in that room with all the lights on, but it's also too dark without them. And you could say, get a lamp. And then I will tell you, we did get a lamp. And then our cat Sokka sailed it into the television by jumping on it. And then our cat Leela sailed it into the bedroom door, jumping on it. So I do not have an unlimited amount of spoons, spell slots, whatever, and money to try to find the perfect lamp or continue returning things I liked. (laughs) So ultimately we wound up doing pendant lights from the ceiling, but I needed some help because I don't do electrical-y stuff. Yeah. And no one person is good at everything. And so I would definitely say when you're in a bind, also, if you just need another person there, it's called body doubling sometimes where you just need another person in the room with you, even if they're not specifically doing things that help, but they can just be there or you can double up and both of you do the same thing and it will help. So, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be the person that you live with. It can just be a friend, but asking for that help is huge. But on the flip side. The flip side is look for ways to help your friends. So right now in the news, we're seeing all sorts of stuff about layoffs all over the world, especially in the tech industry. And, you know, a lot of my friends have been hit by that. And so I'm in a position where I'm trying to hire people for my team and even as you know, a lot of my friends aren't necessarily exactly what we're looking for on my team. Like, I don't want to hire these people, not because I think they're bad people, but just because this job isn't the job that they would want to do or that they're looking for or isn't a good fit for them. What that means, though, is that because I've been looking at resumes left and right, I have been trolling LinkedIn, trying to find talent and you know talking to a lot of recruiters who have other clients, not just me, right? <laughs> and I have been able to pass on my friends' resumes and send referrals as needed. I look for ways to write letters of recommendation as needed. I look for ways to help my friends find 
people who maybe are looking for people like them. And I know that because of the work that I've been doing, people look at me and respect my word. And so I like to be able to use that respect that I've gained to help my friends out, help them to find places where they can get that same respect. So yeah, and I I would strongly encourage to do this without expectation of reciprocation or hope for that. Like for me, honestly, just knowing that I was able to help a friend is thanks enough. And I would say that that can be a bunch of different types of help. Whatever is your strength. Don't try to say, yeah, of course I'll go help you put up a barn door if you very rarely ever use a screwdriver and it's basically agony for you every time you have to. Right. However, if you happen to know someone who needs that service and you are actually capable and happy to do that service, play to that strength. Absolutely. And the things that you're good at are building good relationships with these work structures. You're also really good at just giving advice, I would say, just if people need to kind of work out some sort of like moral quandary, especially. I know you had a conversation with one of our friends about how to ethically purchase or acquire a game that I will not name because I don't want to give it that much more amplification, but is based on IP by someone who is transphobe and where the game has a lot of questionable ethical issues surrounding the making of it, the the company that made it, not just the IP that it's based on, but that too. And you were able to actually talk about how even if you torrent a game like that, it's still amplifying that person's message. Yeah. While I understand the impulse to say, well, I'm just going to pirate it. The thing is that when you take that reaction, if the game does poorly at all, all that's going to happen is people are going to point to the piracy numbers and say, oh, the problem is just piracy. And then nothing will really fundamentally change about how they approach what sort of stories they tell. All that'll change is they'll decide they'll put more invasive DRM on everything. And that isn't really a win. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And frankly, I say this as someone who, you know, I I participate in the capitalist system. I work for a major corporation. I am aware of what happens with the market and how that affects a lot of people. And the fact is that everything is so complicated. Like there is no thing that you can acquire or purchase or get that has zero cost to anyone else. And honestly, we do not individually each have the spoons, spell slots, whatever attention spans to know every atrocity. And not only that, but every atrocity that goes into the things that we buy. But when you do know something that is completely against your own ethical code. Sometimes you just have to say, no, I'm not going to give that person attention or that company attention. Exactly. And I know what it's like to have a piece of intellectual property ruined by the real life views of the creator. It's the Ender's Game problem. (laughs) And what sucks about it is so many people who 
find themselves being discriminated against by the creator and the supporters of said creator also used to find meaning within the IP that made them feel better and made them feel more accepted and loved. And I think that's the cruelest point of all of this is that the people who love the IP love the IP and the people that have a problem with the creator and love the IP are in this stuck place of not knowing how to feel. But I think we've gone too far down this particular rabbit hole. I don't want to make this too much about that. Right. This is supposed to be a thing of the week <laughs> recommendations. But anyway, down that rabbit hole we went. Down that rabbit hole lies madness. Anyway, let's go ahead and get back to more recommendations and more positive things. So another thing that we've really enjoyed is Willow, the follow-up series to the 1980s movie. First DVD that I ever lost to a friend by bringing it over and letting someone borrow it and never quite getting it back. But now, now I don't have to care because I have Disney Plus and I can watch it whenever I want. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, 10 years ago, I didn't know that I would actually be able to watch it no matter what. <laughs> and I was a little sad. But now we can watch it whenever we want. And now they have done a fantastically campy, amazingly just faithful to the idea of Willow. Like if you watch the movie and then you watch the series, it's the same tone. It's the same camp. It's the same world. It just feels like a great continuation. One of the things that I love about it is it plays with that whole anachronistic idea that we know that it's fantasy because everyone speaks with a British accent and says, well, you know, if we're going to adopt that anachronism, we ought to be able to say that Philadelphia accents and Michigander accents are just as valid in the high fantasy anachronism. <laughs> <laughs> and is it a little weird? Yeah, but guess what? So are our ideas about what sort of accents belong in high fantasy. That's true. I think that the story was very well done and it feels very much like an episodic version of the movie. I think some of the things that I've seen as criticisms are the dumbest criticisms because I think they're what make the series great. Like the music at the end is very much of the last 30 years. Like it's not high fantasy for sure. And that's fine. Playing Metallica or a cover of Metallica more accurately, wonderfully done cover of Metallica at the end of a high fantasy show made my day. Absolutely made my day. This is all about nostalgia. This was made for 40 year olds. I don't care. We're 40 year olds. Exactly. <laughs> it clicked all the, the check marks I needed it to click. Like, that's what I have to say. It really did. Is it the best story ever? No. Is it the best TV show ever? Eh. But Is it was it? a lot of fun. But it was a lot of fun. I'm reminded of something that a good friend of mine told me many years ago and that I've actually kind of adapted. When it comes to how you interact with the culture that you like, there are things that are good and there are things that you like that you enjoy. And they don't have to be the same thing. I absolutely agree with you. And on that note, Quantum Leap. 
Yeah, Quantum Leap is definitely, I wouldn't say it's good, but I enjoy it. Absolutely. They have remade Quantum Leap. Looks like they are like remaking everything from the late 80s, early 90s, late 90s, or continuing on from them to some degree of success or not. And I'm on the fence on whether or not I'm going to watch Night Court because I loved Night Court. I was inappropriately young for wanting to watch that. I was like eight or nine and all of the sex jokes just went over my head, which is probably for the best. But, you know, I've gone back and watched it and just I have a special place in my heart and I'm worried about what they've done to it, bringing it back. But that's not the one we're talking about. What we were talking about is Quantum Leap. And when I was young and I watched all of Quantum Leap on USA in syndication, I was too young to know if they got the settings and the time frame right or if there was like just tons of anachronisms or not. However, now I'm 40. <laughs> and now, now Quantum Leap is going back to periods within my childhood. And they made the mistake of also going back to Seattle during my childhood in 1994. Oh, God. Yeah. The establishing shot, like both of us were just like, hold up. That's not that was not Seattle in 94. Like we were like, pause this. OK, so the Great Wheel didn't exist. Those stadiums didn't exist. That building didn't exist. That was under construction. The waterfront didn't look like that. Where's the kingdom? Where's the viaduct? <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, where's the P.I. building? You know, <laughs> so they had that. And then they also had the character go back to the massive earthquake in 89, 89 in San Francisco. Thank you. And we're like, TVs did not look like that. Yes. Thank goodness you have a CRT. But oh, my gosh, they did not have flat screens when that was a thing. Yeah, we were both sitting there like, wait, no, that's that is not what TVs looked like in 1989. I can tell you that. <laughs> that is not a 40 year old TV. That is a 20 year old TV. <laughs> it's always funny seeing some of that where like, oh, now I'm actually old enough to recognize the anachronism. And Quantum Leap itself, like it's not great television, but it is campy and it goes along with the same themes and the same feel that the show had when... I was little, and it also has one of my favorite new people, actors that I've seen. And you will recognize Ian as Desire from the Sandman adaptation. And I'm so glad they have a non-binary person in that role. And as a non-binary character specifically, too. Yes, absolutely. So... Ian is played by Mason Alexander Park. And honestly, I like them better as Ian than I even did with Desire, even though I love Desire. Because Ian is just like cozy little teddy bear person. <laughs> and on top of that, just because most of the time, if we do actually have representation of non-binary people as non-binary characters, especially in TV shows, especially on like network TV, it's almost always people who were assigned female at birth and viewed as female light, where Mason Alexander Park signed male at birth from all I know, and they are allowed to be pretty much androgynous. And while non-binary people do not owe people androgyny, the fact is that they get to actually 
portray a character in a way that is true to some people's experience and representation matters. Absolutely. So the next one I want to talk about is a video game that I've been playing a bit. This is called Metal Hellsinger. So the best way to describe it is if you take a rhythm game like Guitar Hero and then you combine it with like Doom, I mean, literally thematically Doom, like, yeah, that's basically what you got here. So you play Nameless, who is a demon trying to escape from hell. And so you acquire a variety of weapons and there's like there's a metal track playing in the background at all times. And if you use your attacks in time with the rhythm from that track, it increases the damage that you do and it increases your score. And then as your score increases, the track adds extra tracks on top of it. So it goes from just being a very simple melody track. You get harmonies, you get drums, you get guitar solos, you get vocals. All of these layer up as your score multiplier increases. And just the whole feeling is just really epic and intense all the way through it. You know, you've got performers from Enslaved and In Flames and Arch Enemy all throughout it. So like there's some legit metal performers involved in all of this. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a good way to blow off some steam after a rough week. And I've needed some of that. All right. Now to just kind of go back to, I don't know if I would call them life hacks because I kind of get annoyed with people that call stuff like this life hacks, but things that we have been purposefully doing as we have been moving and setting up our new space. To sound old, there are all these newfangled things that didn't exist 10 years ago that I really enjoy, whatever. Specifically talking about remote control outlets, because we do not have a light switch that can turn on our lamps in our little media room. So I bought remote control outlets so that we can just plug in the lamp cord and be able to turn on the softer lighting without having to trip over everything that we and the cats have left in our way, because it's very dark room. There are no windows. So no matter what time of day it is, you really can't see in there without a light. We got remote control outlets. We got under cabinet lighting that's all battery powered and USB rechargeable and remote controlled. I know that you can get app controlled ones. And I would say that the reason I like the remote control ones more is that my attention isn't going to be drawn by them on my phone. I don't have to use my phone for every task. And then I don't need to just keep putting all my attention out onto it. I also don't have to worry about what might happen if I upgrade to a phone that does not support this application. Or if the application goes kaput and the company goes out of business. I want my light bulbs to continue working. Yeah. But I would say that in things where you want to be able to see more clearly, like under cabinet lighting in the kitchen, because again, we only have like the overhead lighting in the kitchen and I have a lot of sensory overload issues to do with lights and sounds. Having softer lighting is a godsend and being able to just turn it all on with a remote control, also really neat. And being able to recharge it on a USB, cool. We didn't have to hardwire anything and there's no 
chance of burning down our house because I did something wrong with electricity. So more broadly, when thinking about organizing your space, one of the things that we've found is that many of the traditional recommendations are made with the neurotypical assumptions. Now, the two of us are neurodivergent in different ways. And neurodivergent is a term so broad as to be almost meaningless. At this point, yeah. But a lot of traditional organizational strategies don't necessarily work with our particular neurology. Things like nesting lidded containers, things like that, which, yes, it does save a lot of space. But for someone like me, it makes it so that I actually end up spending a lot of extra time and energy and attention just trying to unnest the things. A nested container is great if I need the very top or the very bottom container. But what if I want one of the middle containers? That makes it a lot harder for me. So the way that most things are designed are for people who can work within those designs better than either one of us can. Yeah. So just to remind people, if you don't know already, I have an anxiety disorder and panic disorder. And I struggle with being left-handed and also having ADHD. And so I've watched a lot of these home organizational hacks videos that some of them have great ideas and some of them have less great ideas. Some of the great ideas, see-through containers. I absolutely love see-through containers. And one hack that I didn't realize would be so helpful until I watched you struggle if you have nested containers, take everything out and stack them up. If you have nested lidded containers, we have a set of mixing bowls that each one of these like fits inside the next one into the next one into the next one. It's like, you know, little stack of Russian dolls. And while that is very efficient from a space usage perspective, from a time management perspective, it's a real headache for me. Well, also from just a conceptualizing the idea of putting them back. It's almost like that was specifically designed to make you into one of those people from an infomercial where you just kind of shove things back because you're kind of overwhelmed and you don't want to deal with it. And then eventually they all just fall on you <laughs> from above. So we decided to just forgo trying to nest these containers and we found places to put them stacked independently with their lids. So we didn't have to do a lid hunt or go through a whole bunch of nested things and then having to put them back. Right, so that's actually very important. If you have a lidded container, store your container and your lid together, like preferably your lid on the container. You can't lose the lid if it's on the container. Can't is a strong word, but you're less likely to. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I could find a way. <laughs> But on top of that, we also decided not to put the garbage can in a place that a lot of people normally would. And instead, we put it in a cabinet that we weren't using for anything else and got ones that pull out of the cabinet and they have the garbage and recycle right there. And honestly, it wasn't that much more than buying the two plastic garbage cans on their own. And it took having to call our guy to come put the screws in the very, very back because I'm too short and you're not handy. But it was the best solution for it ever because it's got a very small tolerance 
of being able to overflow. So once it's full, it's full and you have to take it out. And we can take it out on the rails in a way that is just not going to tip everywhere or be gross everywhere. And the cans themselves come out individually. And it's also really handy because it keeps them protected from our cats. So it just makes it a lot easier in general. That was definitely worth it for us. Other things that we have enjoyed. So Phoenix got me a wonderful Christmas present this year, which was a handmade wooden watch from Original Grain. So they make a variety of like watches and rings, things like that from reclaimed wood. So like whiskey barrels, guitars. You name it. Like there's all sorts of stuff that they make their stuff from. So Phoenix got me one from reclaimed wood from Yellowstone Park, which just is really cool to me. And it also helps to go towards the wolf repopulation movement, which again is really cool to me. And I would say that in this case, this is probably the most extravagant thing on our recommendation list. It is. They're a very boutique seller, and we learned about them through an ad on one of the YouTube things that we watch. But yes, aware that it is a very niche, very boutique thing. And I'm someone who likes wood grain. That's just an aesthetic that really appeals to me, and it speaks deeply to the things that make me happy. And we're finally in a position where I could get him a rather extravagant gift for Christmas. And it made me feel very good to be able to give you something that is purely for just a, a pleasurable experience. And it's made me really happy to see you wear it. Yeah. Every time I wear it, one, I'm reminded of you. Aww. And two, it's just really a beautiful timepiece. It doesn't look like anything else out there, and it looks very distinctive, and it looks classy at the same time. So I really love it. So yeah, that's my plug there. I would also say I'm getting to a point where one of the recommendations that I have is to enjoy your things. Even the expensive things are the precious things. If you hide everything that you're worried about ruining away, you're not really getting a chance to enjoy it. And so it makes me happy to see you wear the watch that I got you and not just hide it in your room, hoping that it never gets touched or scratched or banged up or anything ever. I would rather see you enjoy it. Now, that being said, enjoy things the way that you want to enjoy them. I would just say, enjoy your precious things. Yeah, I would say that when you are saying, I'm going to save this for a special occasion, make a point of defining what that special occasion is. Don't just hold your action indefinitely. Right. I'm saving this for a rainy day. Well, define that rainy day. What are the specific conditions that you are saving this for? So for me, I wear that when I know that I'm going to be going someplace. And especially when I know that I'm going someplace where I'm not necessarily going to be exerting myself a lot. Because it's not really what I'd call an athletic watch. But it is definitely something that is distinctive and it is me. So thinking about what are the conditions that you're going to use your things under? Well, like I've seen people worried about Lego yellowing or like the plastic for Funko Pops yellowing 
or whatnot, and they'll keep it in the box and keep it pristine and keep it in a dark place. And if that's what makes you happy, that's what makes you happy. But if you're doing it for the future, for your future happiness, don't forget that your current happiness also matters. And what I'm also going to say is that for a lot of things, actually, sometimes having something that shows age actually is good. So like I think about guitars, right? I think about guitars a lot. If you look at the guitars that are the most valuable, they're oftentimes ones that look played, that have relics, that have these elements of where, yeah, the paint has faded a bit or the white has yellowed. Like if I look at things that I'm currently drooling a little bit over, yeah, a white Les Paul Custom, and I know it's not going to stay white, it's going to yellow a little bit, and then I just sit here thinking, and it's going to look like the one Randy Rhodes had back when he was in Quiet Riot, which I'm actually kind of okay with. Yeah, you know, like that's something to think about, right? Like it's okay to let things age. They don't have to be pristine. Sometimes having a story to them matters, and then they become part of your life and not just things around you. Exactly. Another thing that I want to bring up here is I think it's really important to take some time off and give yourself permission to have a period where you're not focused on deliverables. I think that the key on this is to give yourself permission. There's a meme that I've seen a lot that speaks very strongly to me, where it's your brain and you having a conversation about whether or not you have something to do. I don't have anything to do, so let yourself rest. Nope, not gonna do that either. No rest, only guilt. Or there's the, I have something to do at 4 p.m. today, so I'm going to do absolutely nothing until 4 p.m. today, and then I'm going to feel super guilty that I did absolutely nothing until 4 p.m. today. I think that to a point, it is very, very helpful to just give yourself the permission structure to just not just not. I think sometimes it is really easy to get so caught up in the micro side of things where you start micro planning your day and trying to maximize efficiency to get something done. And this happens for a variety of reasons, whether it's because of internalized work expectations or environments that you are in or have been in or just because of lessons that we learned in school, it can be very difficult to sometimes recognize that you as a human being need time to recharge. You're not a productivity machine. Right. You're not just this machine that can just keep going and going and going and doing the same thing. Like you were able to do 10 things yesterday. That doesn't mean you can do 10 things today. And it doesn't mean that you can do 10 things tomorrow and ad infinitum. And I would say that the best thing that we did during this move, before we even thought we would have our house already, because we were planning to really start our search up in January. And we were planning to take as long as it took to find the right place. And then we saw this place advertised in like November or December, November had to have been November or October. It was October. It was October. Whatever. We saw it and we're like, I want to look at the place. We're at a place where we can do this. We could actually do this. Okay. You know, but before that, we had planned a weekend away in Hood River 
very beautiful, very wet, rainy, was January. And we decided to still go. And we went and stayed at a townhome for two and a half days and slept for like two and a half days. <laughs> Essentially, like we didn't do hardly anything. We went away so that we could sleep. And it was the best decision we did. Even though we were in the midst of trying to finish getting all the stuff from the old house to move to our new house. And we had to do things like cleaning and organizing things and arranging pickups for things that we were giving away. Just saying nope was the best thing that we did. Second best thing we did. I gave you the day off yesterday. And because I gave you the day off yesterday, I didn't work on the house stuff yesterday. And we both needed that. That time to just be idle and to not really be focused on tasks is important. As human beings, we need time to recharge and recuperate. We need time to focus on our friends, our family. You know, a lot of times for people that stuff happens over the holidays. In my line of work, that's not the case. It's actually the busiest time of the year for me. So, and on top of that, you know, we were moving. And every single weekend, we had to go back to the old place together and work on it. Yeah. So, I mean, we were basically from middle of November on, we did not have a truly restful weekend, except for that one in Hood River. And we needed that. We needed that time to just relax, to recharge and enjoy one another's company, because that's what reminds us what all of the hard work that we've been doing is about. And then yesterday, we needed that too. We did. We needed that time just to relax, enjoy ourselves, have a day where we didn't have any expectations and just being able to have that time made a big difference for me. We literally sat on the couch and watched Dimension 20. I have no problem with this. I don't either. And I want to make sure that you get restful weekends from here out, even if we have to do some things like figure out where the razors are. And that actually brings us to an important one that we also put on here, which is time boxing overwhelming tasks. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I don't think that this is specific at all to neurodivergent people. I think that this is something that can affect pretty much anyone. You walk into a space that is full of stuff you have to organize, put away, figure out a home for, like just to the brim full. And you go, I don't know what to do. And then you blue screen. Define your scope and time box so that you don't overblow your scope and make yourself so tired that you'll never touch it again. So for me, scope management is one of the things that I've had to be very disciplined about, you know, when we get into things like we oftentimes have a lot of discovered tasks and recognizing that, yes, those are important tasks and recognizing that they may not necessarily impact the things that we're trying to accomplish in that moment. So then being able to say, okay, that is an important task that is out of scope for our current project. We will put that into the backlog. You know, it's being able to recognize that 
this may be an important test, but it does not block any of the things that we're trying to accomplish. We don't have to do that right now. And, you know, then being able to separate those out. So then you're only working on the things that actually impact the things you're trying to accomplish, especially if you don't have a firm completion date where it has to be done by or a due date. Give yourself a time box. Like you will fill literally any time box that you give yourself. Pick the one that you can actually afford to give up. Right. So in this particular case, before we recorded, I wanted to make sure that the room that we record in was something we could both exist in and move around in. And so there were three really big things on the floor that were in the way. And I wanted to just address those three things. And so we limited our scope, discovered a lot more tasks in the way that were kind of dependencies. And instead of worrying so much about getting the specific task that we had set done, we were like, we're going to give ourselves until lunchtime. And then what's done is done with this particular goal in mind. We did two out of the three things that were on the floor that were huge. And we also moved some other things that were discovered tasks. And now we're done for the day. I think part of it is having a defined definition of done for any given thing. I would say that baby steps are still done. Yep, exactly. Like we set up at the top of the episode, small incremental progress is still progress. And you're allowed to celebrate that and enjoy that. Another thing that we did that I think was really important So we didn't take ourselves too seriously and we continuously had little breaks. And I will admit at the very beginning, your propensity towards taking a break to come and hug me was starting to annoy me. And so what I did is I turned it around in my head and I said, okay, from here on out, you have a bank of hug breaks. You have a set number of hug breaks that can happen. And then I set that a ridiculously high number of hug breaks So that I knew it was okay, again, permission structures, to take a little tiny break, come back and hug one another and have fun with it and then get back to work. Well, and, you know, part of it is, you know, a lot of these are tasks that are very boring to do by yourself. Yes. But if we have one another available, we can keep one another company, we can have fun. And that's what makes it even worth doing. And tolerable. Yeah. And if we're not having fun while we do it, we're not going to do it. Yeah. I would also say that if you're going to do tasks that are kind of boring and monotonous by yourself, have something to entertain you, like an audiobook. Which brings us to our next recommendation. So in this particular instance, and the reason that we even decided to do a thing of the last few months episode, one of our wonderful listeners, Mel, made a recommendation to us on our Discord. And I absolutely love getting more recommendations. And honestly, like I have seven more credits on Audible that just don't have a book assigned to them right now. And if you have a book recommendation, please hop up on our Discord link in the description and give me a recommendation because I have a lot of just organizing work to do. As I kind of blue screen. Thanks, Will, for putting your hand on my knee. Anyway, Mel's recommendation 
on our Discord was a book called To Like the Lightning by Ada Palmer. And they say, if you haven't read To Like the Lightning and its sequels yet, I humbly recommend it as a potential thing of the week. It is set 400 years in the future, but written in the style of Reformation English, and everything to do with identity is totally different. Nationality, gender, relationship, sexuality, and it is so well done. The author is a historian, and you can really tell. Every societal change comes with huge identity changes. Thanks for the rec, Mel. We've downloaded the audiobook, and Phoenix is making their way through it right now. So... I do need to go all the way back to the beginning of it because the time that I tried to listen to it, I was downstairs trying to just relax and then down saunter Sokka, who has a propensity towards distracting the ever-loving shirt out of me. And he was in fine form. (laughs) The one thing, the one thing that we desperately want to train him to stop doing is getting up on our oven because I would like him to never, ever burn himself by accident. Like we have child safety knob things over the knob, so he can't do that. We're hoping he doesn't turn on the oven and make carbon monoxide problems downstairs. That's a good reason to get the heck rid of a uh, gas stove, but whatever. Expensive, and I don't want to yet. (laughs) But I started listening to it, and of course, he just distracts me, so I need to re-listen to it but it was pretty good from what the little bits that I was able to understand and concentrate on were. So I'm going to go back to it this week after I do some editing on this episode. Well, with that, I'd like to thank you for potting with me. Thank you very much for potting with me. Join us next time on Tales from the Waystone as we return to Temerant and cover chapter 88 of The Wise Man's Fear through the lens of In Medias Res. Provided we are in a headspace where doing an actual episode actually happens. I didn't say when it would, but that's what the next one will be. Mm, I don't know about that. The next one that we focus on the book will be this. If we don't, that's going to turn into a running meme. (laughs) Probably. Oh, right. (laughs) Actually doing the rest of our outro. We would like to extend a huge thank you to Shawnee Jang for our theme music. And many thanks to our listener community for sharing their experiences of the world with us. Please continue. We'd like to hear more of that. Audio production and editing and social media coordination, courtesy of me, Phoenix McCullough. And writing and project management, courtesy of me, Will McCullough. If you would like to help support us and have the means to do so, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash waystonepod. And as always, here's to one more day above the roses. To one more day above the roses. Ding. Okay, any vocal warm ups you need? Probably a good idea. Probably a good idea. Probably a good idea. Probably a good idea. Probably a good idea.